welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Liz Gadd, Principal Consultant at NPC, about the climate crisis and how charities from across the sector need to start tackling it, both to do their part and also to help their beneficiaries and meet their mission and vision. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good through their fundraising platform. They offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners, and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So without further ado, here is Liz Gadd speaking with us about collaborating on the climate crisis. I'm delighted to be joined today by Liz Gadd, Principal Consultant at NPC. Liz, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you, Sam. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Well, we're delighted that you're here. And I know that you're, you and a lot of your NPC colleagues have been contributing to the show over many months now, which is fantastic. And, and our listeners are really appreciating uh, all that you're doing for the sector and, and all that you're doing for the podcast, in fact. So maybe we can start with um, just a little bit about you. What is your background and what has led you to the work that you're now doing at NPC? I'm a very lucky to be able to work with such an amazing organisation as NPC and the phenomenal charities and funders across the sector. And I come from a background in uh, charities in the UK and internationally of all shapes and sizes, working on different issues, but all focusing on social issues. And I've been doing that for the last 20 years or so. And along the way, I became very interested in mental health issues, partly because of my own experience and, and that of friends and family. Mm. I started to learn more and more about the root causes and how things like the toxics in our homes and gardens and food can affect uh, our mental health. And also things like hormone disrupting chemicals that live in everyday stuff in the house, like mm. pans, can have a massive impact on our bodies. So I started to get more and more involved in environmental issues that way and, and later became trustee of Pesticide Action Network uh, UK because of that interest. And then a little while later, the Environmental Funders Network, very passionate about the, uh, the role that funders can play in helping on environmental and social issues and where the two bump together. And then I'm a mum as well. I've got two little girls who are four and eight now and very motivated as well by making sure that they get the best future and, and future generations of young people have the best opportunities in life. Mm. So I started to build this interest in where all of the issues that I had been used to working with in the, the social charities and funders in the sector, how they crossed over with environmental issues and where there's so much potential in that space yet insufficiently maximized to be able to find those win-win situations uh, for both people and the planet and ever so passionate about how charities and funders can contribute to that so it's brilliant to be working with MPC on those issues and partners as well and great to be talking about my favorite topic with you. 
did having children kind of focus you or, or change how you looked at uh, these environmental issues in any way? Oh, most definitely it did. To some extent, it was just coincidence that at the time general awareness in the public was growing, I was also becoming a mum. So some of it was just coincidence, but also it does make you think about the bigger picture and Mm. what we are leaving to future generations, how we are being good ancestors, whether we're parents or not. And I think it it really is the mission of all charities and funders, regardless of whether we focus on social issues or environmental issues or both. We get out of bed in the morning to make the world the best place we can and to keep making it better for future generations. Mm. And as a parent, thinking about that purely through the wonderful little people who enter your home, Mm. it really focuses the attention on that. Absolutely. I I definitely, I definitely feel that. And, And I guess the, you know, when when our son was born, he's four, and he, you know, we we started out with such a kind of a clean household in terms of, you know, the toys that we bought. You know, it was all wooden stuff. We're careful about chemicals and things like that, and uh, we took a lot of time to look into all the types of things we were buying, from cribs to um, to different kind of foods and and things like that, to to try and give him the best start, I suppose. And I guess all parents have probably got that kind of desire to give their their children the best start. I think for us, there's there's been a bit of a slipping back into some bad habits in terms of as he's gotten older. But I, from time to time, I do get this worry, which I guess is kind of typical parent worry, maybe to an extent, that uh, we need to be doing more, we need to be kind of protecting him. The idea that there are lots of chemicals that we've got in our house we maybe didn't think about, such as pans and the types of things in our in our gardens and things like that where he's playing is a, is another worry as well are there places that parents or people can go to 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 look for ideas around how they can make their homes as eco-friendly you know especially if they've got children and things like that there are and um charities play such an important role in sharing that kind of information mm. for example just to take the one issue you mentioned there about um, endocrine disrupting chemicals, hormone disrupting chemicals, Mm. the charity ChemTrust have some wonderful, useful information on their website. And the same could be said about multiple issues uh, across the sector. I think as a parent, one of the things that I've really felt more and more keenly over time is as our eldest is now eight going on nine and Mm starting to have her own opinions about what we should be doing and developing her own commentary on what she thinks I should be doing in my job when I when she asks me what I've been doing that day oh, really oh well okay. and, and it really sort of highlights to me where my career began which was in involving people with experience of issues and sort of co-production co-design design to use the, the sector terminology and regardless of whether you're talking young people like, like my daughter or whether that's people living in low-income families or disabled people, bringing their voice into that discussion as well to not look at just what do we already know and what's the information available, but what do we need to fix? What are the gaps where there isn't information available and how can we 
we fix that problem together. We're all on a very steep learning curve, um, individuals, charities and funders combined. But I genuinely believe that together and talking to the people directly affected, we can really make a big difference. There seems now to be a consensus that there's a climate crisis happening and there's some pressure seemingly in the, in the news and, and with G20 and things like that. There seems to be a pressure now to move away from fossil fuels, which is good. And there are initiatives, I believe, like the Green New Deal in the US to address uh, climate concerns while also creating social and economic reform. And we've also seen the melting of the ice caps, of course, the impact on other countries such as Australia and Canada, recently having unprecedented heat waves, floods in the US and Germany. I think that, am I right in thinking that firstly, that there is a consensus that there's, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, we need to do something about it? Or am I living in a bubble? Well, if you're in a bubble, I hope I'm in the same one. It's a big bubble, hopefully. I, I agree. I think that bubble is stretching and there are more and more people of the same mind. Mm. I think that the challenge now is, is not that we don't know what the problem is or what to do about it. It's mm. the action to respond. Right. And that's where the challenge is at the moment. Some of that is political will. And there's a really important role for charities and funders in influencing that. But it isn't entirely on that absolutely highest of policy levels. It's mm. also within our power as charities, as funders, as individuals to be able to take action. And I, I don't think we should be waiting for some perfect place where the time is right to act. We can all take small steps mm. and not beat ourselves up for not being perfect. When I'm talking to charities across the sector about this, I often hear there's been decisions in-house to, as they say, get their own house in order before they look externally. And mm. people will be thinking about, how do I green the operations of my, my charity? Which is extremely important and can play a big difference, especially if you're one of those really massive charities that has charity shops and fleets of vehicles and things. Mm. But I'm very much of the mind that whilst all of that adds up to a really big contribution, that we can have more of an impact if we think about what the climate and nature crises mean for the mission of charities and funders and to, to act in that space, not necessarily having to wait until we've got everything perfect because perfect never comes and we are all on a steep learning curve together. But just getting out there and thinking about it and in terms of what you know, I'd say to listeners about how the people they work with and for might be impacted by change, the changing environment, I'd say there's four things to think about. One is how the people they're working with will be affected by the changing environment itself. And that could be uh, for example, like you say, more, more flooding, more, more heat waves. Then there's also how people might be affected by society's response to that, whether that is new policies around housing or transport. And then there's an impact had on people 
directly by the harmful human behaviours. If we're burning fossil fuels, it's not just contributing to climate change. It's having a massive impact on our health and well-being through creating air pollution. Uh, So thinking about those things and what that means for your strategy and the people that you support, how your programmes and services might, might need to change is really important. And then bouncing off that, so many opportunities to find those win-wins where environmental and social issues cross over and making sure that how we respond doesn't entrench inequalities and doesn't mean that the least privileged will be, as is sadly often the case with any situation, the hardest hit, but that we instead harness those opportunities for things that will support both environmental change and change in uh, the lives of people often the most disadvantaged in in society across the UK and beyond. So for example if we um, if we think just about insulating homes we insulate homes we pay less to heat them so that's fantastic in the context of the current oh, rising cost of fuel and yeah. Uh, families across the UK struggling to be able to pay those bills. So it's mm. it's directly helping to what's most forefront of people's minds right now. But at the same time, that's helping to reduce the energy that we're using, the carbon emissions that we're creating and the problems we're seeing already, but will exacerbate further down the line in terms of climate change. And unfortunately, in England's most recent um, energy security strategy it didn't mention insulation schemes which is a real missed opportunity so charities and funders getting more involved in thinking about what these kinds of issues mean for their work and their mission it's going to put them in such a strong place when those opportunities arise to to amplify the voices of the people they're working with and to uh, stand up on their behalf to ensure that we maximize those opportunities such potential yet untapped it's a very exciting space I think that's really not a good way of thinking about it because i suppose for organizations so if it's a campaigning organization then um this could be something that they could be kind of pushing further up the agenda perhaps to because i mean it seems like it's a kind of a systemic issue that gives rise to a lot of issues that we're seeing already in society and, and potentially more b- bigger issues um, in future years. And I guess also because it's maybe on people's minds more, is there a chance that it's more likely to get those charities that are really pushing that agenda for um, tackling climate change or climate crisis, is it potentially likely to, to bring them more support, do you think, as well? Oh, 100%. And In the last year alone at MPC, we've seen such a dramatic shift in the sector, no doubt in response to growing public awareness. And a year ago, when we first started talking to people in the sector about where social and environmental issues overlap, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of distraction with COVID and the beginnings of what we're now calling the cost of living crisis. Mm -hmm. And people weren't in the headspace to give it time. 
now the sector's starting to see that these issues are being raised by the people they're working with more and more. And they themselves can increasingly see how we can take action that addresses multiple of these systemic issues together. Mm. It's interesting that you say, um, you know, the example of campaigning. We've talked to um, charities big and small across the sector about this over the last year. At MPC, we've been running a series of events and roundtables looking at why it has been so difficult to get action in this space, particularly amongst social charities and funders, what the barriers are, what we need to do. And one of the things that we talked about with uh, others in the, in the sector through those events was what about our shared interests in campaigning? policy advocacy, how can we better amplify each other's messages? And the message we were getting back from the sector was very much that there's an appetite amongst both social and environmental charities and funders to do more collaboration in that space. Mm. But the sector was telling us there's a number of steps that we need to go through first. There is a lot of information out there, probably plenty of gaps too but it's really difficult to see if say you're you know a, a charity working for older people or younger people and you want to know well what does all of this mean for my particular organization for the issues I work on it's very difficult to find that information and then being in a position where you're empowered with that information would make it so much easier in engaging those that we work with talking to disabled people, younger people, different social groups about what they think about this, what it means for their priorities and, and how they think our sector, charities and funders, but also wider society should respond to some of these systemic interwoven issues. Mm. So the sector is very much saying to us, we need to address those issues first. And once we understand each other better and we understand better where social and environmental issues overlap, then we'll be in a position to think more, where's our common ground in terms of policy? How, how can we support each other? And at the end of the day, there's a limited amount of money out there, whether that's government money or from funders and philanthropists, we're all fighting over the same pots. So if we can work together to find solutions that address multiple issues in one go, that's better for everybody. In terms of charities working collaboratively, do you think that environmental, the shared environmental concern could be the thing that actually helps to bring charities together in the first instance that then could lead on to more collaborations in the future on other um, shared areas? I very much hope so. Mm. Let's just take one example to unpick a little bit about to, to explore how some of these issues interlink. So say, for example, you're a charity or a funder thinking about young people. You know, young people tell us that they are very worried about the climate crisis. Um, six in 10 say that they're very or extremely worried. It's having a massive mental health impact to the extent. It's interesting where we started talking about our journey becoming parents. These days, it is tragic to see from the polls that four in 10 
young people are now hesitant to have children themselves because they're concerned about what the future holds. And it behoves us as adults to do something about that, Mm. no doubt about it. Mm. But then the issues around young people are much more complex than just them advocating for us as as the generation that currently have the power to do something about climate change and and the wider environmental crisis. They don't just want us to act on that. They need us to think about how it affects every part of their lives. For example, the changes in the climate affect young people from the womb onwards. So there is evidence that women can go into labour up to two weeks early, the week after a heat wave. Really? There are okay. multiple other examples of that kind. So you see the charities working on climate change and mm. reducing climate mitigation of, of some of the things we're going to be facing. Mm. And then those who are supporting young parents, young mums, pregnancy and, and, and so on, have a shared interest there. There's also some really interesting evidence around how changes in temperature can see increased aggression and violence in society. Mm -hmm. So charities who are thinking about issues like domestic violence or child abuse or knife crime will be interested in those overlaps. There's massive opportunity for improving and adapting to the changing environment um, in terms of how we respond with our our policy change. We already talked, for example, about how we can improve housing uh, in terms of insulation. And and there are similar arguments around how we tackle uh, decarbonisation of transport, being able to make it possible for all age groups, including children, to have more active lifestyles, walking and cycling more actively. My children don't have a pavement to be able to walk or cycle to school. You know, there are some real basic, simple things that can Mm, be fixed. mm. Um, And access to green spaces, another very interesting overlap between environmental and social charities. Uh, When I read this, I was just blown away by the fact that if you have a park in an urban area, in a city or a town, Mm. you can track... um, night and day a reduction in one degree of temperature for up to a kilometer around that park oh wow so charities who are thinking about those in disadvantaged areas living in poor housing Mm. and their access to green spaces it's not just about their mental health and well-being and their exercise it's about the physical environment we live in and then last but not least a really big one for young people I personally am particularly exercised about the potential for there to be a lost generation of young people who fall between the gap between our education and training system getting up to speed with the future ahead Mm. and them entering a workplace that's very different for the one that they're being trained for right now. Mm. The same could be said for all age groups as we move into an environment with more green jobs, less traditional industries. We're going to have to be upskilling groups across the country of different ages. But for young people particularly, there's something that we can do now to get their education and training right to set them up for the future and the workplaces and the lives that they'll be entering. 
And on all these issues, you can see multiple overlaps between social and environmental charities. And they have so many shared interests here that with more action in that space, as you say, now I can see this as a springboard then for more holistic thinking, more systemic thinking for the future, and ultimately that snowballing effect of more collaboration. Is there a challenge, do you think, to UK-based charities thinking about how to tackle climate change in the context of it being a problem that the world needs to solve together? Is it Could it be seen as a something that puts charities off because they think, you know, we can't change it globally, we can't stop it ourselves? Or is it, on the other hand, Maybe that maybe that's part of the DNA of charity that actually you know charities individually and, and as a kind of a um, as a as a group uh, seeking to encourage others to do the right thing too. Such a good question, and it's exactly why charities and funders need to get more involved in this space. We're seeing such a rise in interest in systems change thinking because we're starting to appreciate as a sector and as a society globally that the big issues of the day are not things that any one country or any one charity or funder can solve alone, Mm. which is why to be able to do the best that we can to make sure that those who often have done the least to cause climate and, and nature emergencies are not the hardest hit. We need to collaborate to work together and there's a parallel between the global north-south debate and the UK um, situation with different levels of privilege in, in different social groups. So you will no doubt have heard and, and listeners too that if you look on the global stage, there are massive challenges ahead for particularly the countries around the equator, those in island states for whom sea level rises will have a a bigger effect as as charities uh, and as a sector we do think about international development and that is something that colleagues in in the sector across charities and funders that have been working on for some time at mpc we focus very much in the uk sector and there's a direct parallel there we will all be affected by the changing climate and by society's response, but we won't, we won't all be affected in the same way. And those who are most vulnerable to the changes ahead need our support, whether that is those facing multiple disadvantage. So they're more likely to be living with an existing health condition that makes them more vulnerable to change. They're more likely to be living in poor housing in areas of high air pollution more likely to be from a minority ethnic background or living with a disability or whether it's just simply social groups who by the very nature of the lives that they lead have a keener interest in one area for example older people disabled people who are often more reliant on private vehicles for their mobility and independence will be particularly interested in how we tackle decarbonising transport. So there's definitely a role for each and every charity and funder to play. 
but that's within the context that these are massive issues and we're never going to be able to find the solution solo. It's when we are together and focusing our attention on those who are likely to be the hardest hit that we can have the biggest impact. And I guess whether that's the charities banding together to almost be the vanguard of, of the movement forward to a, a better future for everybody and maybe encouraging this government, other governments who then are encouraging other governments and potentially with other charities, presumably other charities across the world are thinking in these same ways as well, right? Is there any kind of sense of having a more international collaboration process, do you think? I can see that being possible down the line, but I think with such early days on our journey that it's only very tentative uh, mm. steps being taken in that space. For now, we, we need to be thinking more about what each of us as organisations in the sector can do, how we can play our part in a very big picture, not just in greening our operations, but in thinking about how the people that we work with and for are going to be the most impacted either by the changing climate or, or our policy response. I think there's a really, really important role for funders here in supporting that process. Um, anyone in the sector will tell you it's exceptionally difficult to find the time or resource mm. to network, to build collaborations, to build those trusting relationships from which partnership arises. And that's the absolute cornerstone of being able to take for, forward more systemic action in complex spaces like the, the climate and nature emergencies. So we need our funders to be thinking about how can they be enabling their grantees to be thinking more about what the environmental crises mean for their mission and what they need to do to support them to uh, be linking more with people with whom they have shared interests, whether that's other social or environmental funders. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're starting a piece of work at MPC to get the ball rolling on that. What we're going to be doing is spending time in partnership with a, a range of charities across the sector, looking first at gathering the evidence that already exists and making that easily available in bite-sized chunks for charities and funders to see quickly and easily what do the environmental crises mean for different social groups. Then we're going to work with our partners to engage directly with those social groups who are most likely to be affected to talk about what they think of these links, what they think charities should be doing and how society more widely should be responding. And then we'll spend some time together looking at barriers to action, how we can address those. And ultimately, we hope that might lead to being clear on what our common policy ground is and being able to amplify each other's messages. We've got some exciting partners. So look out for the launch in September to hear more about that. Liz Gadd, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you, Sam. A big thank you to Liz Gadd for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us here on Charity Chats. It's more than sobering to hear about the impact that we may all be feeling on a regular basis because of chemicals in and around our homes. And whether you're a parent or not, I'm sure that there are 
times when you, like me, find yourself worrying about the state of the planet now and in the future. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed and fatigued, especially in light of our immediate challenges such as the current economic crisis. Charities are a diverse bunch, and with missions that cover saving whales to bringing the joy of singing, there are hundreds of thousands working in the sector, and many more volunteering for it. Many of these charities have a clear vision about a world where their cause is no longer needed, perhaps a utopian world which is barely conceivable at this point in time. And yet, we all face a common challenge in the form of climate crisis, which is generally agreed to be causing havoc with our weather, food and drinking water supplies, leading to greater insecurities for all, especially the poorest in our global society. No matter what our charity is seeking to do in the world, climate crisis will have a bearing. So as well as sharing the responsibility to tackle it as individual humans, our charities must also commit to addressing it too, both in our practices and indeed as part of our objectives. We all have power, some of it small, to affect a positive change in our world, whether that's choosing to walk rather than using fossil fuels by driving, or shunning plastic bags and limiting the resources we generally consume. But charities have greater power still, even small ones who may be little with just one or two people doing what they can in their spare time. In many cases, charities are still looked upon as leading the good fight, having a voice within their communities and in their dealings with those with more power, states, funders, companies, high net worth individuals, for example. The short term and often ingrained challenges that many charities have been set up to tackle or evolved to change pale in comparison to the existential crisis that we will all face in the coming years and decades. In this time of challenge, there is a risk of overload of saying that we can only focus on mine or me. Perhaps, though, finding ways to collaborate on the fundamental challenge of climate crisis could also be the impetus to achieve the long-term social changes we've been fighting for all along. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners, and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit, for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk and Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.